Welcome to the Christ Walk Podcast. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. Enjoy the message. Let's give our stage crew a hand. That's what I'm talking about. Man, so good to see you guys today. I'm excited about today. Turn to your neighbor and tell them it's going to be good. All right. Um, if you got your Bible, you got a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to um, the Old Testament to the book of Deuteronomy. So in case you're unaware, the Bible's divided up into these two large sections of Scripture. You got the Old Testament towards the front, and then the second big chunk of Scripture is called the New Testament. And so we're going to be in the Old Testament, actually in the very fifth book. It's part of the what the Hebrews would call the Pentateuch. Um, it's a very, very good theological, theological word for you there this morning, the Pentateuch. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy right there, and we'll be in chapter six. We're going to jump in there um, in just a minute. So uh, I've got a saying, a phrase, um, kind of a principle that I try to live by. And, um, and in our family, I say this phrase quite often, as a matter of fact, and it goes something like this. If you pay your tithes and live right, good stuff happens. I heard Lois laughing because as she's been a part of our staff, she's heard me say this probably a million times. Um, if you pay your tithes and live right, good stuff happens. And over the course of time, I've just said this so much that it's actually just shortened. Like we don't even talk about the good stuff that happens. I'll just say, if you pay your tithes and live right, dot, dot, dot. And it just kind of fades off into the distance because it's assumed, it's implied, it's understood that that means that good stuff is going to be happening. So let me give you a little context so we understand how I would use this phrase. Let's say we go to Target. You guys know we go to Target way more than we need to. Let's say we go to Target. It's a madhouse. There's not a parking place to be found, but no sooner than, than we turn down that very first row right there by the doors, the person parked in that very first space closest to the door backs out and we're able to pull right into their parking space. We say, pay tithes and live right. Or let's say that you're walking along and you kick something with your foot and you look down and it's a wad of cash laying there and you pick it up and you put it in your pocket and you say, Pay your tithes and live right. And then you go and you pay tithes on that cash that you just found right there on the street. Or let's say that you go to Chick-fil-A and you pull through the drive-thru and you reach into the bag and that eight-count nugget that you ordered is a 12-count nugget in the bag. Can I get a witness in the house? Has anybody ever had that happen? You, you, you dig down a little further and you realize you ordered a medium waffle fry, but they gave you the large waffle fry and they even put some extra that spilled over into the bottom of the bag, you know, because if you pay your tithes and live right, good stuff happens. And I've said this so much that now my kids have started to say the same thing. They've caught on to it. As a matter of fact, this past week, um, Wednesday, after youth, um, Luke and his friend that he brought hadn't eaten dinner yet. And so after I picked him up from youth, I took him to uh, a fast food joint here on the island. And we were, we were in the drive-thru and it was taking a long time and they messed up part of our order and everything. And we were trying to be really gracious and they were apologizing, stumbling over themselves and everything. And so we sat there for way longer than we needed to sit there. But when they handed the bags through the window, they said, for your trouble and because we messed stuff up, 
here's some free dessert on us. And before I could get it out of my mouth, Luke from the back seat said, pay your tithes and live right. (laughs) In the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has led the people of Israel through the wilderness having escaped slavery of Egypt, they've gone through the wilderness and it is now coming time for him to begin to kind of shut down his ministry. He knows that death is quickly approaching for him. He's getting ready to pass the baton on to the next generation. His assistant Joshua is going to take over as a leader of the people and, and um, carry the people across the Jordan River, take them across the Jordan River into the promised land that God had given his people. And and in the time leading up to this, Moses has been the mouthpiece of God and he spent his days communicating God's commands, his desires, his rules and principles to the people so that they would know uh, how they are supposed to live their lives. And in Deuteronomy chapter six, Moses, he, he kind of takes some time to kind of, he, he's saying basically his, his last words, um, giving his last kind of will and testament to the people. And this is part of what we stumble across here in Deuteronomy chapter six. We'll start there with verse one. My Bible reads this way. It says, these are the commands, rules, and laws that the Lord your God told me to teach you to obey in the land you are crossing the Jordan River to take. You your children and your grandchildren must respect the Lord your God as long as you live. Obey his rules and commands I give you so that you will live a long time. Listen, Israel, and carefully obey these laws. Then all will go well for you and you will become a great nation in a fertile land just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has promised you. Verse four, listen, people of Israel, The Lord our God is the only Lord. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Always remember these commands I give you today. Teach them to your children and talk about them when you sit at home and walk along the road when you lie down and when you get up. Verse eight, write them down and tie them to your hands as a sign. Tie them on your forehead to remind you and write them on your doors and on your gates. The Lord your God will bring you into the land he promised your ancestors to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he will give it to you. The land has large growing cities that you did not build, houses full of good things that you did not buy, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. You will eat as much as you want, but be careful. Do not forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt where you were slaves. Verse 13, respect the Lord your God. You must worship him and make your promises only in his name. Do not worship other gods as the people around you do because the Lord your God is a jealous God. He is present with you and if you worship other gods, he will become angry with you and destroy you from the earth. Do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. Verse 17, Be sure to obey the commands of the Lord your God and the rules and laws he has given you. Do what the Lord says is good and right so that things will go well for you. Then you may go in and take the good land the Lord promised to your ancestors. Right there in verse 18, very end of that passage, Moses says to do what the Lord says is good and right so that things will go well for you. And I don't know about you, but when I read that, that sounds a whole lot to me like, If you just pay your tithes and live right, good stuff will happen. There's some 
principles, some truths that I'd like to pull out of this passage, just really quick rapid fire here this morning. There's three things that I believe Moses is really communicating to his people, to the people of Israel that I think apply to us this morning. And the first one is, number one, we need to be obedient to God's commands. That's the kind of people we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be obedient to the command of the Lord. But the second thing is, is that we need to teach our children and our grandchildren to be obedient to God's commands. It's not just enough for us. We need to teach them to do it as well. And then number three, we need to remember what the Lord has done for us. We need to remember what the Lord has done for us. And so ultimately what Moses is saying here is that we need to live in such a way that models proper behavior for those that come after us. It's not just enough for us to obey individually, but we need to, to exercise the influence that we have over our households as well. See, uh, obedience to the commands of the Lord should not end with us. We have been tasked with building and carrying out a legacy. Because it was at this time that Moses understood something that you and I need to understand as well. Moses, Moses realized that there would come a time when those that were slaves in Egypt would be dead and gone. That the time was coming that those that had walked for 40 years through the wilderness to get to the promised land, that, that they would no longer be on the earth. That the time was coming when the people of the nation of Israel that were inhabitants of the land that God had promised them, that they would have no account or no experience with anything that their people had to go through in order to get to that point. And so what Moses is communicating here and what he's trying to make certain of is that the people of Israel somewhere down the line aren't going to wake up on third base and think that they hit a triple. That's what Moses is trying to ensure here. Moses wanted to make certain that generations to come would know that God delivered his people out of the hand of Egypt. He wanted to make certain that the generations to come would remember the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night that led them through the wilderness. Moses, as he prepared to pass the torch on to the next generation, he wanted to ensure that future generations would remember everything that he had worked for, everything that the people had struggled against, everything that they had sacrificed in order to attain, that they would be able to remember that so that they could experience the same blessing and the same favor and the same provision that God had poured out in Moses' life. And here's what I know. One of these days, not to be creepy or morbid or anything, but, but one of these days, Sarah and I are no longer going to be on this earth. And so we wanna pass down something to our children. And, and my saying, if you pay your tithes and live right, good stuff will happen. Well, it didn't originate with me. I caught that from my parents and it didn't originate from, with them. They, they caught that from, from their parents and so it's, it's been passed down. And not only was it something that, that was said, it was something that was, was seen, lived out. And so their parents lived it out for them and they lived it out for me and now Sarah and I are living it out for Luke and Avery. And so a legacy is being created and established. And, and long after Sarah and I are no longer on this earth, Here's what I know will happen. Luke and Avery will always remember, just like daddy always said. If we just pay our tithes and live right, 
good stuff will happen. And I don't care who you are, that's just the truth right there. That's just the truth. I think that, that if we would adopt that as our lifestyle, if that would be our motto that we lived by, a bunch of the junk, like 99.9% .9 of the stuff that we have to deal with on a regular basis would just take care of itself if we, if we just pay our tithes and live right. And so I know that, that Luke and Avery, they're going to re remember that because a legacy is being carried on and established in and through the generations of my family and the things that we've said and the way that it's been modeled how we've lived. And so today we're in part three of a series that we've been calling First Fruits, where we've been talking about the what, the how, and the why of a lifestyle of generosity, particularly when it comes to the realm of our finances. And back in week one, we talked about what the Bible says in regard to tithing or returning the first 10% of our income back to God because we don't, we don't give back to God. We simply return it to him because it was his in the first place. And so we can't give something that doesn't belong to us to begin with. We can only return it. So we return back God's tithe, the first 10% of our income. We return it back to him as our tithe. And we learned, we found in the scriptures that, that God is a God of order. And that if we'll get things in order in our life, particularly in the realm of our finances, and we'll return back to him the first 10% instead of the last 10% or 8% or 6% or 2%, if we'll return back the first 10%, we'll get things in order, then we can position ourselves to receive the fullness of the blessing that God is wanting to pour out in our lives. And according to Malachi chapter 3, the promise of the Lord there says that he's going to pour out so much blessing we won't be able to contain it all. And then last week, we talked about the cost of following Jesus. And that while the gift of salvation is free to live a life that is fully surrendered to Jesus Christ will cost us everything. And so if we are going to fully surrender to him and live a lifestyle of generosity, then we have to be intentional about it. We've gotta be purposeful. We've gotta put a plan in place because we're not gonna be walking along one day and slip and fall into generosity accidentally. And if you haven't heard e either of the previous messages, if you weren't here, you need, a, you need a refresher or whatever, I would encourage you, go to our podcast, go to our YouTube channel, check those out. You can connect to all of those through our website at thechristwalk.com because they serve as building blocks. Week one and week two serve as building blocks that build on each other for what we are going to talk about today. And so if week one was the what, and last week was the how, then today is the why behind choosing to live a lifestyle of generosity. And the main reason that I want this for you, not just from you, that's not what we're looking for, something from you. We want something for you. It's not just so that you can be blessed, but it's so that you can establish a pattern of generosity and blessing, not just for you, but for your children and for your children's children and your children's children's children, that we can leave a legacy and that we can be a part of something so much bigger than us that will outlast us long after we are gone. Because at the end of the day, if we'll just pay our tithes and live right, good stuff will happen. Now, how many of you remember the old TV show? It came on like PBS or whatever. Anybody remember Reading Rainbow with LeVar Burton before he went to Star Trek and got the weird glasses? <laughs> you know? So Reading Rainbow was this book, and the whole, the whole guise of the book was to encourage children to read. 
and there would be, there would be um, a, a book that would be the focal point of every episode. And at the end of every single episode of Reading Rainbow, they would have this segment called, very creatively, Book Reviews. And it's where they would do reviews of books. And so the, uh, the creative minds behind that show got around the conference table one day and they put their heads together and thought, what could we call this segment where we're gonna review books? And someone who probably got a pay raise afterwards said, I know, let's call it book reviews. But it was in, some of y'all will get that on the drive home. It's okay, you can just laugh your head off on the way home whenever you get that. Um, <laughs> but it was during that segment that it would come to, to where LeVar Burton, he would be talking about the book um, that that episode was centered around and he's trying to encourage kids to read it. And it was every single episode that it gave him an opportunity to share his catchphrase. It was during that segment of book reviews, he would be talking about how great this book is and he would say, but you don't have to take my word for it. And then it would go and they, there would be these kids that they would interview and these kids had read the book and they'd be talking about how great it was and they'd show pictures that they'd drawn of their favorite scene or their favorite chapter and they're talking about how, oh, I liked this and oh, this happened and this was cool and everything. And so what they were trying to do is get kids to see that, hey, other kids are enjoying this, so you should read it too because if you read it too, then you can have the same kind of experiences that those kids are having. And so today's message is a lot like one of those episodes of Reading Rainbow. You know, over the past couple weeks, I've been talking to you about the principles of God's word when it comes to being generous with our finances. And, and we've even talked about like how we can go about doing that, living the 10, 10, 80 principle to, to live and say, or to give and save and live. And, and then what some of that looks like to get things in order and to have a budget and everything. But we're to the place now that you guys have heard way more than you probably care to from me. So I'm just coming to you today and saying, look, this is the best way to live, but you don't have to take my word for it. So today I wanna to interview a couple who has been living this kind of lifestyle for the better part of their life. And they're gonna share their story with you and at least part of it. And, and in fact, I know this to be true because for the past 38 years, I've watched as they've lived this with my own two eyeballs. So if you would this morning, give a very warm Christ walk welcome to my mom and dad, Terry and Vicki Snap as they make their way to the stage. So as they're coming, um, I, I've been excited about this like since December of last year. Um, we were mapping out the, the message calendar, the, the series calendar and everything. And, and so I've been looking forward to this for like the better part of 10 months. And I'm so excited about today. And please know that before we jump into this, that this is not like the things that we're gonna talk about this morning. Um, this is not from a desire of my parents to like say, hey, look at me and to be in the spotlight. It, I, I, had to, I had to convince them to come up here and do this. Um, there, was some, there was some reticence um, on the front end because what we're gonna talk about today, this is one of the only times that this kind of lifestyle that they've lived is gonna be both literally and figuratively in a spotlight. Um, the things that we're talking about today are things that have been done over the years out of the overflow of their personal relationship with the Lord, and it's stuff that's been done in the dark, um, you know, behind closed doors because they didn't want anybody to know because they're not up here for, you know, anybody to give them any sort of accolades. But I believe 
so strongly in their story and the way that it's encouraged and empowered me. And I want that so desperately for our people. And so I asked and they graciously accepted to come and allow me to interview them today. So is this okay? Can we do this? I I really think that this is gonna help some people. I think it's gonna encourage you and inspire you. So thank you guys so much for for being willing to do this. And so like, let's let's just jump in. Um, How long would you say that you've been living this kind of lifestyle? First, let me say that uh, Blake allowed us to have our notes with us, or, or he encouraged us to have notes with us so we wouldn't take too long uh, to kind of keep us on track. So if you see us referring to the notes, please know we did write these, and this is from our heart. <laughs> this is just to keep us on track. But we begin tithing and giving, uh, I guess, uh, when we entered the workforce as teenagers. Vicky was born into, your mom was born into a minister's home, and I was raised in a Christian home and always in church, and we were taught from the very beginning to tithe and give. I remember early on that I, re, I would think that returning the tenth and giving a few dollars in the offering, that pretty much satisfied my uh, obligation to God. But I had the concept of giving and the offering all wrong. Uh, it wasn't until several years later we realized that what we were giving was not enough. We were cheating ourselves out of blessings that the Lord had in store for us. So that's when we decided to start giving more generously. So why... Why did you choose to begin to do that? Like, was, was there a catalyst? Was there something that happened that inspired you to, you know, kind of draw the line in the sand and say, okay, like, from, from this point forward, this is, this is why we're going to choose this way, why we're going to choose to live this way and what we're going to do? Well, first of all, it's because the Bible says that that's what we should do. And we want to live our lives to be pleasing to God. It's a privilege for us to give to God because we love supporting our church. We love helping people that are in need. And we've been able to do that simply because of how God has blessed us through our giving. Our lives are more fulfilled and we're more in tune with God and we've received countless blessings because of choosing to live this way. As far as the catalyst, you want to... I remember one time in particular, our church had just entered into a capital stewardship campaign to purchase a piece of property that was adjacent to our campus, a piece of property that we had been trying to purchase for over 25 years. Uh, I had just left a job to go to work for the company where I am now, but it was only on a six-month contract. Nothing promised past six months. We were hesitant at first to make a commitment, a long-term commitment, 24 months, uh, because in six months I didn't know if I was going to have the income to satisfy that commitment. And to me, when I make a pledge to the church, it's not just, Lord, I'll pay it if I have the money. It's, Lord, I'll pay it no matter what. Yeah. So I was kind of hesitant to make that commitment, but we felt real strong about it. And we knew it was going to stretch us to give in the first place. But then not knowing six months from now, 
if we were going to have the funds to be able to do that. Uh, we were a little bit, little bit hesitant, but we prayed about it and decided that's what we're going to do, and we'll just trust the Lord to, uh, to take care of us. And we were going to put, the, put God to his, test his word. He tells us in Malachi 3, try me and prove me. And we did just that. I wanted a permanent position with this company, but I also needed to learn to trust God more. We decided to make our commitment for the two years. And at the end of the six months, when my contract was supposedly going to be up with this company, it was renewed for six more months. At the end of that six months, it was made permanent. Not only was it made permanent, but the salary increase that I received was equal to the amount that we pledged toward this building fund. For the next year, we continued our giving, and before that year was up, my salary increased one and a half times again the amount that we pledged to the stewardship campaign. Reminded me of Luke 6.38 where it says, Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaking together, making room for more, running over, and poured into your lap. I think that's a perfect example of that scripture being lived out in my life. Yeah, so, so talk about a time or maybe a season that you guys walked through where you felt like, we don't really have the money to tithe, um, but you chose to anyways. And, and what, was, what was that like and, and what was the end result out of all of that? Well, I remember early in our marriage when I was forced to change jobs several times in just a few years due to companies I worked for being sold and or closed. And one time in particular, we had just bought our first house, proud homeowners. Used pretty much all the money we had in the bank for to scrape up a down payment. And then six months in, my boss walked in and said, we don't have a place for you anymore. Out of work for over six months during that time of unemployment, I did odd jobs, mowed grass, worked on people's cars, anything I could to scrape up a few dollars to try to help make ends meet. Uh, no matter how much I made, the first 10%, we returned back to the Lord. We are always faithful to, uh, to return the tithe to him and give it offerings, and he blessed us. We never got behind on our house payment. All of our utilities were paid up to date. If someone outside of the church looked at it, they would think, that's impossible. But my, my answer to them was always, but God. There were times when all the money we had between us was maybe enough to put a little bit of gasoline in the, in the car to, for me to go look for a job on Monday morning or for Vicky to go to work. But we gave anyway. Many times when we would give the last that we had, the last 10, I remember one time in particular, we had $10 between us. Uh, that was to put gas in the car, but we decided, nope, we're giving it to the Lord. Before we left church that day, 
Somebody gave us the old Ben Franklin handshake. It's my favorite kind of handshake. <laughs> if you're taking notes, write that down. <laughs> we gave the Lord our last $10, but he multiplied it and gave us back 100 Yeah. Uh, he just never cease, ceases to amaze us with, with things like that. I eventually found a job at a company that first told me when I applied there, we don't have any openings, but we'll keep your application on file. Uh, usually that means they file it in file 13, I think. But a friend that we went to church with lived next door to the vice president of this company. She talked to him about me. And uh, next thing I know, I'm getting a call from the personnel manager says, uh, I need you to come in. I've been told to hire you even though we don't have a place for you. I don't know what you're going to do, but you've got a job. Well, they put me to work in the storeroom counting screws and, and dispatching them to the assembly line. It was about the lowest job. It was, it was even lower than sweeping the floors if, in, my, in my mind. Wasn't too long after that, just a few months, that I was offered a job in the purchasing department. Now, I was going to move out of the old, dirty, nasty factory into an office job. Uh, the lady that I was going to go to work for, she had a reputation of being mean, nasty, hated men. You know, anything negative that could be there, that was her reputation. And when I went went to work for uh, the job that I had in the in the factory I got paid every week I was going to a job that got paid once a month at the end of the month you know the next part of this story I started on the first day of the month so I had a full month to go without any pay and I'm thinking Lord I don't know how we're going to make it we're just we're barely scraping through right now the first day that I reported to my job, she called me into her office, took out her personal checkbook, signed a check, left the amount blank, and she said, I know it'll be 30 days before you get paid. If you and your wife have any needs at all between now and then, you can write this check for any amount you so desire, and it don't matter how many zeros it's got on the end of it, it will be covered. Uh, that's just just amazing. Thankfully, at the end of that 30 days, when I received my first payday, I was able to return to her that check not filled out. It was blank, just like she gave me, because the Lord, again, had supplied all of our needs. So talk about a time or... You know, maybe sometimes if you got some stories to share, um, when you've been able to bless someone because of your commitment to live a lifestyle of generosity, that because you chose to live this way and, and get things in order, that you saw a need, were able to meet a need, when that happened, like how did the person respond? What was the situation? And, and on the back end of that, how did it make you feel? Well, there have been many experiences that we have had with helping people. Sometimes it was something big. Sometimes it was something small. But I do remember one time in particular that I will share. I had uh, become acquainted with a single mom and her three teenagers that had started attending our church. And they were having financial difficulties. And uh, 
they had lost practically everything that they had and uh, didn't have a vehicle anymore, didn't have a place to live. They had moved in with a friend and was borrowing their vehicle even to get to come to church. And I just felt God tugging at my heart saying, you need to do something. You need to do something for her. So went home and I told Terry, I said, I just feel like God wants us to do something to help this family. And I said, maybe we could find them a nice used vehicle somewhere, you know, to purchase for them so that they can get to church and the mom can get to work and get the kids to school. And so Terry, of course, the way he is, he just immediately, you know, gets on something and starts looking and seeing what he can find. And we found a uh, nice used SUV and we went to pick up the lady to take her to pick it up. Uh, Little did we know, she had prayed and asked the Lord when she was able to get a vehicle again, could it be something that would not only be room enough for her and her three children, but so that she could bring her children's friends to church with her too. And that just, that really touched me. Well, the situation with uh, her living with her friend wasn't a good situation and... and uh, I just felt God talking to us again, saying, you need to do more. You need to do more. I've blessed you, and, and here's a place that you can bless. So we were able to help the lady and her children to find a decent house to rent and uh, get you know a few pieces of furniture and some things for her to start over again. And uh, we were able to bless her because of the way God had blessed us to pay her rent for, for the first year that she was there. And another couple from our church stepped up and said they wanted to play a part in that too, and they paid her utilities for that year. The, uh, the family, they were just overwhelmed that someone would step up like that and, and you know, say, these people don't even know us, but they're willing to help us to get back on our feet and... Uh, we were humbled because we felt like God had blessed us so, and he was trusting us with those blessings, and we were able to turn around and bless somebody else. And then a couple of years later, you found out about their son, her son. Right. He, he called us to, uh, this was about two years afterwards, called us to tell us thank you for what you did for my family, uh, for helping us. You didn't have to do that. And, and during that conversation, we learned that he was uh, involved in an internship at one of the churches in Chattanooga and was going into the ministry. That's awesome. <laughs> you want to talk about the crosses? Sure. So... Our home church, the church my parents attend, my, my grandfather used to pastor, and it's in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's called The Crossing, um, and it's right off of uh, I-75 um, between exits 5 and 11 on I-75 North. And so if you travel through that part of Tennessee, um, through Chattanooga, maybe going up to Gatlinburg or something like that, um, chances are you, you might have seen it. Um, there's three large crosses, and when I say large, we're talking... Um, 10 story, two of them are 10 stories and one of them is 12 and a half stories. 
um, tall right there on the side of the interstate. And so catch people up to speed on. Well, I want to preface it by saying that we got a hold of a book called The Blessed Life by Robert Morris. And we read that book, and we thought we were giving very generously. But in that book, by, through reading that book, we realized that we could give extravagantly and that God would allow us to do that. Uh, Terry and I had been asked to chair that stewardship program. And it was shortly after we moved to a new campus because we had outgrown our other one. But for years, our pastor had prayed as to where we should move. And, and uh, he had felt like the Lord had told him that when we did, he wanted us to put these crosses up. He said, I just I kept seeing these three crosses. So as Blake said, they're there on the interstate. And people pass those, hundreds of thousands of people pass them, you know, day in and day out. But we went into that stewardship campaign. And again, we fasted and prayed to ask the Lord what he felt like that we should give. And sometimes Terry and I would look at one another and say, well, what do you think? And he'd look at me and say, well, what do you think? And instead of one of us coming out with whatever it was that we said we were going to give, we'd say, okay, we'll just write it down on a piece of paper. And then, you know, we'll compare notes. Nine times out of ten, when we open up that piece of paper, and read the amount on it, we both have written down the same thing. Now, if that's not God telling you, I don't know what would be, because most of the time it has been that way. And we just feel like that that is definitely God saying, this is what you should do. Well, he had blessed us so that we were able to give our initial pledge in cash up front, but as we got into the stewardship campaign, something just kept coming back to us. You need to give more. You need to give more. You need to give more. So for the rest of the time period, we were able to give half again as much as our initial pledge uh, for the crosses to go up. Now, those crosses cost over $750,000 to put up. And people thought, I can't believe this church is spending that kind of money on doing something like that. But what they don't know is what a mission-minded church that our church is and how many hundreds of thousands of dollars we have given to missions and how our people go to the mission field and uh, work in the mission field and we build buildings there. So many things. So we didn't let that bother us what people were saying about, you know, you could have done this with that money and that with that money because we were doing what we felt like God wanted us to do with that money. But in less than two years, the crosses were paid off. And I'll go on to say, as I said, uh, I said a while ago, that thousands of people pass those crosses every day. And we've received numerous testimonies from people that would come and go by there. One lady stopped and came into the church, and she said, I just want to tell you, I drove by these crosses, and something pulled me in. She said, I was about to commit suicide. But I felt God tugging at my heart, 
And I just wanted to come and tell you that and get you to pray with me. So, you know, even if that one soul is all that it blessed, it was worth it. It was worth it. And the amount for the crosses, that was approximately 50% of the yearly operational budget, right? Yeah, yeah, roughly. And so you paid that off in two years. And then what about the the other ministries of the church and the budget Mm -hmm. of the church? We had to take no money from any other ministries. All this money came in over and above all of the other uh, budget monies that we had uh, set aside. Uh, We still gave to to missions. We do outreach within the city. We feed the homeless. We've got nine or 11, I forget what it is, dream centers uh, throughout the world that we sponsor. Uh, we had to take no monies from any other account to satisfy that. That was all come in over and above what we normally do. Okay. So has, has living, you know, talk about all the, all the things that, that the Lord has given you the opportunity to do and to be a part of. Has living this kind of lifestyle been easy? Not at all always easy. Yeah. Matter of fact, sometimes it's been a real struggle, <laughs> uh, especially early on in our marriage. There were times when the bank account, you'd look at it, and it said, you don't have it to give this week. And that little ugly man sitting on your shoulder would be whispering in your ear and say, you don't have it. You don't have to give it. And God, he would try to convince you that God says it's okay that if you don't give because you don't have it. But we gave anyway. And the dollar seems to always stretch. Uh, we met all of our obligations. God satisfied all of our needs and usually most of our wants. Uh, because of it, we've, it's become easier over the years uh, because we've grown in maturity, but also we've grown spiritually. And, and that's, helped, that's helped a lot. We have learned how to trust in Him. So... If you could go back to the beginning and do it over again, would you choose to live any differently? Definitely so, and I say that because we would have learned early on to give more generously, to give more extravagant. Because, you know, we're just humans, and we want to hold on to our comfort and security, but what we don't realize is that that comfort and that security is greater when you give it away, when you give God's blessings away. So is there anything else that you feel led to to say or anything else you'd like to add? Well, we talk about extravagant giving, but extravagant giving is not just limited to financial resources. It can be giving of your time, your talent, or your testimony. And you do all of that without expecting anything in return. Giving out of love just as God did when he gave Jesus for us to redeem us from our sins. Let me say it is a privilege and honor to serve the Lord and be able to give. And he's always blessed us in our efforts and everything that we've, we've given to him. Have we always done it right? No, I'm sure we haven't. But he's always been there to bless us and meet our needs and touch our lives whenever we would call on him. And we love supporting the ministries of the church. And we, we, we love our church. And we're growing to love you, you guys as well, this church as well. 
you've become part of us already. They're not too sure about the pastor, but everyone else. <laughs> Can you, would you would you just give them a hand? Thank them for. Thank you for joining us. We hope you were inspired by the message. For more information, visit www.thechristwalk.com.